This is Dr. Jay Corsandi, and you're listening to The Best Night Ever, the show that's dedicated to helping you get your best night's sleep. Over the last 20 years of treating patients, I've worn many hats, including dentist, engineer, psychologist, artist, corporate executive, and more. I found that the key to success, health, and longevity lies in sleep, and that's why I created this show. I want to teach you how to make sleep your best friend. Join me on a journey to uncover cutting-edge science, life-changing tips from renowned experts, ancient and modern sleep secrets, game-changing routines, and lifestyle hacks that will educate, inspire, and ultimately help you get the best night ever. Hey everyone, welcome back. And before we get into the show, I just want to give you a quick backstory on how this show actually came to be. My guest today is Dr. Daniel Gartenberg, PhD. He's a sleep researcher, and the way we met was actually pretty interesting. I have an account on Instagram called Sleep Biohacker. So if you're on Instagram and you want to see all the crazy stuff I do, uh, you're more than welcome to follow me there. And we actually ended up meeting through Instagram, and his account is called Dr. Snooze. So I got excited when I saw that, and when we actually connected and I learned a lot about what he was doing, I got even more excited. So Dr. Daniel Gartenberg is a sleep researcher. He's also a TED speaker and actually gave a speech called The Brain Benefits of Deep Sleep and How to Get More of It. On top of that, he's had numerous scientific journal publications and he's developed an app that can help you sleep that we're going to talk about on the show, which was pretty amazing. So with all that said, I had to get him on the show. Now he lives on the East Coast and I generally don't like to record via zoom or skype or something like that so it turned out that he was going to be in los angeles in the next couple days after we talked and our schedules were able to open up for a little bit of time and we were able to connect in person so with that said we got together and recorded a pretty epic show which you're about to hear and just to give you a quick preview you're going to learn things like why sleep is so important and why the public perception has changed over the years what self-quantification is and how you can take advantage of it, the hospital sleep paradox, what happens to us when we don't get enough sleep, how to use technology to get more REM and deep sleep, what sonic sleep is, and how you can use sound to improve sleep and memory performance. Now this one was really, really fascinating. We're talking about things like listening to certain sounds at certain times at night to help brain performance and sleep performance, which was fascinating. So we'll also talk about sleep trackers and if you should be using them. And we're going to talk about Dr. Dan's night routine, which is pretty beneficial. So I invite you to sit back, relax, enjoy the show. And now on to the episode. Okay. And we are live. Dan, welcome to the show. Jay, thanks so much for having me. All right. So you're known as Dr. Snooze on Instagram. Is that right? That's correct. And I'm not a big fan of snoozing. What are your thoughts on snoozy hitting the snooze button is not recommended because it essentially means you're sleep depriving yourself so even though you know we make technology around waking people up at the right time we actually suggest the right way to wake up is without an alarm clock okay i agree with that 100 percent. all right so after the whole snoozing thing here let's get into the show so let's start a little bit about you and and what led you down this journey to going to sleep and research yeah it was it was a long road that actually started in college and i'm from a family of 
healers. So my dad was an infectious disease doctor and my mom was a nurse and my grandma was actually a Jungian psychologist who still practices. But what I saw firsthand was my dad telling me things like never become a doctor because of how broken the medical field was. And he got out actually in the 90s. And I always felt like I wanted to help people, but in a more global way, you know, not just individuals, but populations of people. And what attracted to me, me to sleep is that it's literally the human behavior that we do the most of. So the thought that inspired me when I was a senior in college was if we could just improve this process, it would have a massive global health impact. And when I started diving into this as a, in my PhD and really getting intimate knowledge of what sleep is, I saw the massive impact that it has on basically every chronic health disease. But things for me as a biohacker about like optimizing my cognitive performance also were really fascinating to me. And it tied into my interests in AI, cognitive science, and psychology. So it's just a good fit. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting. When I go to the grocery store, let's say Whole Foods, and I'm checking out, you know how they have all those magazines on, on the checkout shelf? And I would say 10 years ago, you look at them, they'll be like Cosmo, Marie Claire, whatever. They'll be like, oh, get the best sex, get the best sex, get the best sex, right? Now when you go, it's all about sleep. It's like, get the best sleep, get the most amazing brain. And, and there's been a shift in the public perception. So why do you think sleep has become such a big deal lately? Yeah. So it's almost in my mind, a response to what technology has brought to the table, which is the, and a culture of always on. And one of the big hacks that I have to improve my sleep is simply turning off the notifications on my phone. Ah. And so if I don't respond to your text message quickly, that's why. But, you know, people are expected to always be on now. Work is almost a 24-7 thing. And I think there's this real yearning for some peace of mind. And that's where sleep comes in. Because sleep is actually how we make sense of all of the events that happen to us during the day. It's how we ingrain information into our long-term memories. And we're basically being bombarded with so much information now that sleep is basically more important than it's ever been. We need a way of differentiating what's important and not important for us. And sleep is how we do that. Okay. So part of what I do as a sleep biohacker by night is quantification. And I know this is something that's been a big deal for you. So what's what is self-quantification and why has that become important? Yeah. So, you know, I was into the quantified self early on too. And, you know, these devices have been out there for a while now. What has attracted me recently is that to really quantify your sleep accurately, you want granular heart rate and motion data. And as a scientist, when I saw the Apple Watch coming, that's when I knew that you could actually do the fancy machine learning stuff with that device and actually accurately, more accurately predict people's sleep. So I've tested almost all of the sensors out there and you know, they're all, most of them are, are basically great, 
they're pretty accurate at measuring your heart rate. And, and the motion stuff has been around since the 70s. Right. The big difference is now we can take in all that raw data, run some good scientific experiments, and actually predict what stage of a person's sleep is at a specific moment in time and delivering a targeted intervention designed to improve their sleep quality. And that's really what's been driving me is creating an optimum sound, light, and temperature environment. So when I go to bed, I feel more alert in the morning. All right. I love it. And we're going to get deeper into all that stuff as well, too. So I remember hearing about you on a Bulletproof Radio episode with Dave Asprey. And for people who don't know who Dave is, he's the father, founding father of biohacking. And one of the interesting comments that he says is he believes that healthier people need less sleep and unhealthier people tend to require more sleep. What do you think about that one? Yeah. And, you know, sleep need is something that's really specific. So I don't like giving general advice on how much sleep someone needs because it's literally going to change. And there is a lot of truth to what Dave said there in the sense of if I have a cold, for example, I make sure that I get a lot of sleep that night because it's going to help with my recovery. Right. And actually some of the research that I've done focused on hospital environments and measuring sleep in hospital environments and looking at how sounds in that environment, i.e. the IV alarm pump, yeah. are really non-conducive to sleep, yet we're trying to sleep is how, you know, our bodies recover and we're trying to heal these and people. And we're trying to heal these people, yeah. so maybe we should turn down the, all the noises in the hospital environment. That's actually a big inspiration for yeah. a lot of my work. It's funny you brought that up. Let's go a little bit deeper into that, but when I think of a hospital, I think of that as the most after all of the the biohacking stuff that I do as far as light mitigation and red light, you know, blue light control, sound control, air quality. It sounds like, you know, the clinical hospital setting has just got to be the worst. I would love to get into a clinical hospital setting at some point. That's a long-term goal that I have because I think there's a lot of low-hanging fruit in just reducing the recovery time. Yeah. I mean, just give me like $200 to put devices into a hospital room, and I think I could improve some outcomes. But it's hard to get into that hospital room is part of the problem. This is true. So, okay. What happens as we get older, I've noticed my sleep patterns have changed. And I think generally as we age, we decline in sleep. Is that correct? Or what's going on that's causing that? Yeah. So there's definitely population studies that have shown two major things, but it's important. It's hard to figure out what's causally happening. So when they look at like populations of people, when you're in your twenties, usually you'll get like seven and a half hours of sleep. And then by the time you're in your 80s, it'll go down to like the average is like six hours or something like that. And your deep sleep actually, and this is the thing that gets impacted the most. So basically, I think about the way that most people in sleep science think about sleep is you want more deep sleep and you want more REM. Those are both regenerative aspects of sleep. Mm -hmm. What happens when you get older is usually you get less deep sleep. So like when I'm in my 20s, Usually it's around 20% of the time spent in bed is in deep sleep. And then what by the time you're like 80, it goes down to like 7.5%, something like that. So not only are you sleeping less, but your sleep quality is getting worse. So what's happening there, it's a little bit hard to disentangle whether maybe you're taking in less new information 
information. So therefore you need to sleep less because, you know, deep sleep in particular is how you consolidate new information. Like they have these cool studies where like you can expose like a mouse and to a new environment and they'll get more deep sleep the next day because they're ingraining new information and downscaling previous connections. And so they need more deep sleep. So you can make that argument for that. Maybe old people are just learning less. They're kind of stuck in their ways and they're getting less deep sleep. You know, there's also other things like medications that could be playing a role and it's hard to disentangle. One thing we do know is that there's a lot of individual differences and, you know, there's plenty of older people that are sleeping more healthy than younger people. And so one of the big things that I think is going to change healthcare is really focusing on these individual differences and optimizing for them. All right. So getting good sleep is obviously important as we get older. And it's interesting because we're going to talk about trackers as well and how to see the data from your sleep. And man, I wish 20 years ago I had one of these aura rings or biostraps because I would really have liked to have seen what my deep sleep and REM sleep were. Mm. But these days I'm actually getting pretty great scores just from all the different things that I do, biohacking, epigenetics, whatever you want to call it, you know, routines. But let's say you kind of throw all that stuff out the window and you're just like, you know what, it is what it is. I'm just going to go with it. And what happens if we tend to ignore our sleep as we get older? Yeah, so it's going to impact basically everything. I mean, the, link, the links between cardiovascular disease and sleep are really strong, especially hypertension. What we study in our lab in particular is the linkage between sleep and deep sleep in particular and conversion to mild cognitive impairment and Alzheimer's disease. So there's a lot of evidence showing, and most people can relate to this subjectively, that when you're sleep deprived, you're not attending to things as well the next day, your memory is flawed. I mean, you're not going to be performing well at work. What they've shown, and that's not controversial, what they've shown recently with some interesting mouse studies where they'll like dissect the brain and stuff like this and some fMRI where they'll sleep deprive someone and, and look at their brain in an fMRI is and look at some biomarkers is that deep sleep in particular plays a role in cleaning out beta amyloid plaques which are associated with developing Alzheimer's disease. So what we're trying to do right now in, in our lab is you know run a clinical trial showing that by improving people's sleep health, maybe we can actually reduce their conversion to Alzheimer's disease. Mm. It's going to be tough over an eight-week period, but you know, when, when I do science, I like to have hard things that I'm trying to solve for and some more low-hanging fruit. So this is kind of like our reach is maybe we could, by improving an older person's sleep amount and sleep quality, we can make them perform better in cognitive tasks the next day and actually have some biomarkers that show that they're less likely to get mild cognitive impairment. Mm. So biomarkers being like like C-reactive protein, inflammatory yeah, markers, exactly. like that. There's, there's new, exactly. We're going to look at C-reactive protein. We have a, there's some, there's a new panel that my professor knows more, a lot more about the biomarkers than mm -hmm. I do. I work okay. with Orfeo Buxton at Penn State, and they know there's like some new biomarkers. You know, you take it with a blood sample mm -hmm. 
that maybe over that period of time, and there's some evidence that this is true, you could actually show differences in those biomarkers with, with an eight-week intervention. So to make things more complicated, if you have like a sleep disorder breathing, which is what I deal with with my patients, you know, snoring and apnea, I always stress the importance of dealing with your sleep because that, I think, amplifies the potential for heart disease, oh, yeah. neurocognitive decline. So I'm happy you're going down this road as well, too, because people really need to understand that if you have issues with your sleep quality to begin with, and then you compound that with if you're snoring or if you have apnea, then you're really setting up the stage for some nasty stuff. Yeah. I mean, when, when I talk to people who I coach, like if I sniff any kind of sign of apnea, like that's the first thing. It's low hanging fruit. So, I mean, before you do anything, make sure that you know, if you're snoring and you have some of the other telltale signs, like start there. That's the way that I think about this problem a lot of times because it's so big and a lot of people are in different places. Like, you know, if you're a biohacker, that's not on your purview at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, you're trying to optimize more. So it's really something very personal. And that, that's the way that I like to think about this is, you know, another really strong example that resonates with me is napping. So like I, if you have insomnia, for example, or you have problems sleeping, you really are suggested not to take a nap because that could actually mess with your circadian rhythm. What about coffee? So this is another thing It's really individual. So I mean, the half life in coffee varies from two hours to eight hours. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is based on your metabolism. So like I can guzzle the stuff and also there's a difference between there's st evidence showing that even if you can fall asleep on coffee, that it could still negatively impact your sleep. Right. Quality. Kind of like alcohol. Yeah. Right. I mean, alcohol is way worse. I, would say, <laughs> I, I, th I think, but so that's, again, you know, sometimes I think it's good to have that coffee in the morning and to, you know, activate your circadian rhythm at the right time. So you're more likely to be tired later on in the day. And so that's why I think a lot of it has to do with understanding the person's schedule, what they're willing to do, where they're at physically, if they're trying to optimize or deal with a specific problem. And that's my approach to this. So yeah, let's talk about that because I think you're just basically kind of going around the whole idea of what you're aiming to do here is taking an individual person's needs or requirements or lifestyle and then, you know, giving them a set of recommendations to optimize that. So tell me more about your technology and, and how it does that. Yeah. So, you know, we've built this algorithm where we've hooked people up to the best wearables on the market and brought them into a laboratory environment that gets truth data. And I call it, what I call truth data is something called polysomnography, which I, I know that you're very familiar with which is, you know, it's a 16 channel electrode montage. You got some of them on your eyes, you got an EKG and you have, you know, three on each side of the head. Mm -hmm. And so we'll bring people in a lab and actually hook them up to 24 seven polysomnography for four days. Wow. So they're hooked up to this gear for a long time. That's really important because that's how we get our, 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 a powerful classifier. And we're publishing some science on this now where alongside of that, we'll hook people up to an aura ring, some of the Philips devices like the Spectrum Pro, which is more of a clinical thing, Apple Watch, and you know various wearables. Mm -hmm. And then we'll build these models that take the raw data from the wearable mm -hmm. and map them onto the truth data. 
and do some machine learning mumbo jumbo. And bam, we have a pretty accurate measure of people's sleep using any wearable device. So we think we can evaluate your sleep very accurately on Sonic Sleep using any wearable. And right now we're compatible with Apple Watch Mm -hmm. and we're about to be compatible with O-Ring, BioStrap, you know, the Withings devices, Garmin, Mm -hmm. basically anything that pushes their data to HealthKit. And now is a really cool time to be in this space because when you start getting these multiple streams of data, you can start predicting what's going on really accurately. And so, you know, if we can maybe get some of the body temperature stuff from Aura, like that could help inform the, our algorithm. Even things like weird things like your altitude have been shown to be predictive in someone's sleep quality, as right. I, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, we were talking off mic about altitude and latitude and you know, different aspects. I've done a whole show on, on jet lag hacking. And, and I'm thinking maybe you could take this technology and say, hey, I'm going to be going to this location at this elevation, you know, at this time, you, you want to join my team because yeah. we're about we're, we're about to implement something like that. Because there is a theoretical optimum time to entrench your circadian rhythm based on your jet lag. You know, you plug in where you're going. We measure your sleep the night before on any wearable device, and then you have an optimum bedtime, wake time, exercise, light exposure, food time. I mean, that's theoretically possible. Yeah, no, I mean, and that sounds like the perfect application of this kind of technology. I mean, we, we were, again, we were talking, you know, I have an aura ring, I have a bio strap, I've got access to home sleep studies, kind of like mini PSGs. And I'm always taking this data. And yes, they connect to an app on the phone and it gives me some recommendations, but this sounds like it's taking it to like a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, my feeling on the space for a long time has been like, oh, my Fitbit told me I got an hour of deep sleep. First off, frankly, I personally believe that most of these wearables shouldn't actually even tell people about their stages of sleep because I've kind of seen how inaccurate they can be. I think they can be very accurate for sleep-wake, but even measuring when someone is awake in bed, like, yeah, they're not even that great at that. I've noticed that. So I think it's better to just present people with maybe even the raw data, and that, that's the approach that we take so they can kind of glean on what's happening. And and we actually, in our approach, we'll take all this data from Apple Watch. And I think we have like the most sensitive Apple Watch algorithm for measuring sleep. And we have a sleep staging algorithm, but we will only present sleep wake to people. If they want to get deeper with us, we offer some consulting with them where we can help interpret their data more because we don't want people to feel anxious about like when we tell them wrong information. There's have you uh, come across this thing ortho orthorexia, orthosomnia orthorexia orthosomnia yeah yeah, yeah yeah and, and that's funny you mentioned that because you know I wear all these wearables at night and then in the morning I'm like ooh, ooh, ooh let me let me load up the app see what I got and there are times where I'll wake up and the score will be like a 93 or 94 or whatever and and I'll have a little crown above it and and it says oh you killed it. And I'm like thinking, you know, I don't feel that great today. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. And there's other times where I'll wake up like a champion, ready to go. And it says, oh, your score, you know, your sleep was garbage, basically. And yes, yeah, so I think these companies, and myself included, need to be really careful about how they're presenting this information. 
what I want to create is something that doesn't just monitor you, but does things to actually improve the situation. Like, what do you even do with the fact that you got a 94 on your, how does that help you? Really? I drive to work with a smile on my you face. Try, right? <laughs> and, so, and I post it on Instagram. <laughs> I won. I, I'm winning I'm on a, the sleep. I won my sleep tonight. Yeah. yeah so, you know, we're, we're really focused on solutions more. And when, when we can detect what sleep you're in at a specific time, we can, there's some evidence that we can push you into different stages of sleep with sound, yeah. which is the major focus of our grant research. <laughs> Hence the name Sonic Sleep. Yes. So let's talk about that. Obviously, for people who are listening who are aware of the stages of sleep, I mean, you can kind of break those down for me real quick and then what your technology does to enhance or modulate that. Yeah. And so this is going to to really illustrate how hard it is to give people clear answers on some of this stuff. In the U.S., there's four stages of sleep. Yeah. In Europe, there's five stages of sleep. So that kind of points to the fact that we really don't fully understand this biological process yet. There's a recent article coming out saying that there's 19 stages of sleep. <laughs> 19. <laughs> so a lot of it has to do with that transition between sleep and wake. There's probably a lot more going on there than we really understand. So I'm just going to break it down first off in what we really understand. And that was about, you know, 60 years ago, they hooked people up to EEG and they could clearly differentiate REM sleep from non-REM sleep. Right. And that's like a very clear physiological distinction. You're paralyzed in REM, you lose thermoregulation and your eyes are moving around, hence so rapid eye movement. Obvious. Yes, it's very clear. REM is clear as a, what's the analogy? It's clear <laughs> when, when you have someone up, hooked up to an EEG. Then there's non-REM, and that's separated in the US as light sleep N1, N2, N3, N3 being deep sleep. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it's N1, N2, N3, N4, and yeah. N3 and N4 being deep sleep. And usually what happens is you do... Throughout the night, you'll get like four to five of these cycles, and it goes light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, REM, light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, REM. It's like a little song. Nice, yeah, that's a, like a little lullaby. That <laughs> I'm a little, yeah, that's what I sing myself to sleep with every yeah. night. But You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> what happens is you'll start out with more deep sleep. So your first half of the night will be deep sleep yep. heavy. And then as you go on, you get more REM, takes up a greater proportion of the night. I ascribe to one of the main theories in the literature, which is called for why we sleep, which is called the synaptic homeostasis hypothesis that Giuliano Tononi came up with. And basically what that says is during deep sleep, what's happening besides like human growth hormone and all this good stuff is you're down-regulating all of the synaptic connections that were excited during the day, such that the relevant things to your survival rise to the top. And this is like to make sure that like, oh, don't go to that part of the forest because the predators are there. And then in REM, you replay that relevant information and basically internalize it into your long-term memory, personality, and emotions. Okay. So that's one of the many reasons for why people, scientists think we sleep. No, it makes sense. And that's what I tell my patients as well, too. I mean, we can geek, about, geek out about sleep all day long here, but you know, there's a memory consolidation element to it. 
I tell patients your brain's kind of like a DVR. It's just recording 24-7. And then at night is when the editing happens. Mm-hmm. And the same way to put it where you're, you're keeping the information that's relevant and you're filtering out the stuff that you don't need. So if you want to really geek out on this Let's do it. there so what we studied is there's two things that are very captivating to me when it comes to this one is the deep sleep stimulation effect with sounds and that's what we study in our lab which is basically playing sounds since your brain is just you know a big electrical circuit board if you play sounds that replicate your slow wave oscillations which are delta waves there's evidence and we've seen this in our lab that playing these sounds right at the level of your brain processing it, but not waking it up, waking you up. We understand how to do that. And then we can actually prime these deep sleep brain waves. So you're saying you can get more deep sleep by playing sounds in the delta wave or theta and in during, the delta wave. And during deep Point sleep. Hertz. We understand how to do it during N2 and N3 sleep. Hmm. There's other companies that do it with like a headset, mm-hmm. like Dream Rhythm, and I think there's a Philips one now. We try to do it on any wearable, basically. And the way that we're able to do that is we built these models by having a postdoc come in the lab and systematically play sounds. So we understand how to play sounds so that your brain processes it, but it doesn't wake you up. Because mm. if you play it too loud, it's going to d- disrupt It's something. an alarm clock at that point. So it's you too don't want to do that. So that's one cool thing that we're working towards. The other one that's really captivating to me is something called, have you ever heard of targeted memory reactivation? Tell me more about that. So basically there's been some very interesting studies showing that if you're say learning some task, like a, you know, declarative memory task or like a puzzle or something, and you're exposed to a smell while you're learning that task, you start associating the smell with the task. And then since you're integrating in REM, Mm -hmm. they'll replay the smell in REM. And and since the smell is associated with the task, it'll actually prime performing the task. So you'll integrate that more and you'll perform better on that, you know, science exam or whatever you're studying for or working towards the next day. Whoa. Okay. So that's trippy. So you're saying you're basically associating a smell with a cognitive task or is it is it going to be like a physical one like let's say i want to learn how to roller skate i think it could theoretically be a physical one okay and then you're but then that smell has to be somehow stuck under your nose while you're asleep yeah and so the classic experiment is with the olfactory system because that's not going to wake people up usually mm-hmm. like a smell usually isn't what wakes you up unless it's like a weird, ammonia yeah it's also <laughs> like a serious smell so we think we can do it with sounds Sound sounds a little bit more. And, and the sounds are coming from a speaker by your pillow? Yeah, or? just your phone by your bedside okay. is one of the form factors. Okay. But there's other ways that you can actually target sound so that you can hear it and your bed partner wouldn't hear it. And wow. some of this stuff is anticipating what the bedroom environment is going to look like in 10 years. Mm. And I think it's going to be very different than it is right now. Okay, so speaking of sounds, and I've done some podcasts about this as well too, but there's a couple things that people have brought up to me, things like pink noise versus white noise. What's going on there? Yeah, so one of the easiest ways to improve sleep quality, and we do this in our software, is by blocking out noise pollution. So like a snoring bedroom partner. Like what we saw in the lab, and I was surprised by this when I was looking at the PSG, like even in air conditioning turning on, 
will wake up people's brains. And you've probably, I mean, you're very aware of how unconscious people are to their sleep quality. Like obviously like with apnea, you can get like a hundred arousals per hour or something in yeah. severe cases, right? And they're and not they're conscious of that zero. at all. Yeah. So you're really disconnected from what's going on when you're sleeping. And one of those things you're disconnected from besides something like apnea is just how much noise pollution wakes you up. And so by playing pink noise in particular, you can mitigate that impact of noises waking you up. It kind of rounds out the sounds because mm. the abrupt, what we've seen in the lab is it's the abruptness of the sound that really wakes you up. It's basically like you want to make sure you're not going to get eaten by a lion or something right. when you're sleeping. So if sounds come on and off quickly, mm. that's very disruptive. So like a siren with a car driving by or a snoring, a snore will really get you. Yeah. We use pink noise because it's a little bit friendlier on the ear and we kind of adapt it based on what we're sensing in the environment. And it's also more, it blocks out more spectrum free of sounds than something like white noise. All right. It's kind of like a full spectrum noise, not cancellation, but it just kind of smooths things out. Yeah. We, we refer to it as uh, sound masking. Sound masking. Okay. And Binaural beats, this is something that I've talked about as well too. How does that technology work and do you use it in this in the sonic sleep? Yeah, so my perspective on a lot of this stuff is I don't have strong opinions on what relaxes people. So, you know, whether it's binaural beats, which we have in our software, and that has to do with playing sounds at a slightly different frequency in both ears. So it actually, it only really works appropriately if with something like earbuds, not an external speaker. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of people find that super relaxing and that's great. You know, I, for my wind down and one thing I really try to emphasize with people is like sleep happens a half hour before sleep. So it's important to have like a wind down process. Personally for me. Yeah. I'm going to get to your night routine. That's going to be the last question. Oh, I'm sorry. Save it for the end. Okay. Yeah. Cliffhanger there for everybody. Cliffhanger. Sure. But yeah, I I just don't have strong opinions on what relaxes people. Everybody's different. Everyone's different. If something's working for you, if it's binaural beats, great. If it's ASRM stuff or whatever, you know, body scan. A lot of the people in sleep science recommend something called progressive muscle relaxation. And so we have those guided meditations in our software too. And what you basically do is you tense muscles in your body and you really focus on that Mm -hmm. and you go through your whole body and... The nice thing about it is you can, once you do it a couple times, it's pretty easy and you can do it while you're in bed. So that's another way to stop that racing mind. Yeah, that's one of the biggest complaints or, or challenges I get from people is, you know, how do I calm the racing mind down? I had some issues last night because I live close to some fires here in LA and I was getting these messages on my phone, you know, potential evacuation and get your stuff ready and talk about wow. racing mind. I mean, that was a tough one. I really had to mitigate and and it was tough and I actually lost some sleep and yeah my scores were terrible I'm still functioning today but that's a big challenge for a lot of people is how to turn that mind off and yeah and this is the thing that I think our culture is starting to finally wrap grapple with is you know the exercise metaphor of like the harder you try in uh-huh. your workout the better the results and it's perfectly true 
but sleep does not work that way. And it's like a very American way of thinking yeah. of like the more work you put in, the more you'll get out kind of. Yeah. But the harder you try to sleep, as everyone kind of knows, the harder it is to fall asleep. This is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like almost the Eastern view of meditation. And I've, and I've done meditation workshops and studied with some different people. And one of the biggest things is the harder you try to meditate, the less it works. I mean, it really is about learning to let go. It's about letting go. Yeah. So learning how to let go, knowing when you're tired is a big part. And not if you like, look, it's totally normal to have problems falling asleep sometimes. You know, maybe I shouldn't admit this, but of course I do. Like I run a, I run a startup. It can be stressful. Mm -hmm. Part of it is knowing when I'm activated like that, having that metacognition of it and not trying to sleep unless you're tired. That's a big thing is having that awareness of when you're activated, when you should maybe do a relax, maybe you need a little extra relaxation tonight to get you into that place. And also making sure you do those activities during the day. And this is the other side of the coin that I focus on with my clients a lot is getting that sunlight during the day, you know, hitting your circadian rhythm so you're activated during the day and so that you can also deactivate during the night. Because back to the older people, one of the main reasons why it's thought that older, older individuals have sleep problems is it's known that their circadian rhythm flattens out as you get older. And so the more that you can do to have a healthy rhythm with, an op, with a high alertness in the daytime, usually you'll have like a peak alertness about two hours after you wake up a, a siesta time. You'll have like a, you know, maybe you want to take a little power nap or something and, or drink a, a little coffee and then another peak alertness right before dinner. And then it shifts from morning people and evening or and evening people. But being aware of that, entrenching it mm -hmm. with what are called Zeitgebers. And that's a German word for timekeeper. And sunlight is the biggest Zeitgeber. And so one of the simple hacks that I do is I just have a happy lamp at my workstation. And so I always make, I also walk to work, which yeah. is a really big win. Yep. And so, but I always make sure I get my sunlight with yeah. the happy lamp. Yeah. No, and I've talked about this a million, probably almost on every episode I've talked about circadian control and getting out in the, getting sun exposure, both in the sunrise and during the day. And then helping to control the clock, like you said, you know, there's, there's a rhythm and there's a drive and a need for sleep. So it's all about setting up the stage so you can almost succumb to sleep at night without having to really put a lot of effort. But I want to get back to stages of sleep. And, and we talked about these a little bit. Your technology seems to be focusing more on deep sleep. Is that? That's correct. Why is there a preference for that versus REM? I mean, you want more REM, you want more deep sleep. It just so happens that we ended up investigating the deep sleep. Mm -hmm. Deep sleep in particular is related to the Alzheimer's, which is what got us interested in, and human growth hormone, which is thought to be. What's the connection there? Well, I, as I mentioned, it's cleaning out of the beta amyloid plaques okay. is particularly relevant for deep sleep. They're kind of two sides of the same coin a lot of times. They go together. They have these weird studies where they'll systematically like inhibit one over the other by like poking you basically whenever you get into REM sleep. And that's how they tried to understand a lot of the functionality of these things. But I want to improve REM. I want to improve deep sleep. Mm -hmm. For our grant research, it's focused more on deep sleep. Got it. So in this whole biohacking community and it's people that use like the Aura Ring or the BioStrap and everyone says, they reach out to me a lot and they say, 
my you know my REM sleep's great, but my deep sleep sucks. Yeah. So the, if you want to improve deep sleep, what are your recommendations? Okay. Yeah. First off, I would say don't put too much credence into what these devices are saying in terms of the sleep stages. I, I'm sorry. I, I you know you see I'm wearing an aura yeah. ring right now. I got mine. I, I, I love it, but I also don't necessarily believe everything that it tells me. So just I would say that. The things that are that have been shown to improve deep sleep that I'm aware of, and there's a few, raising your body temperature throughout the day uh-huh. for a prolonged period of time has been shown to increase your deep sleep. And I like to recommend things that people like to do anyway. So actually having an orgasm. <laughs> hey, and I was going to go there. So yeah. Do you, okay. Do you recommend that morning or night? I mean, I mean, people, I mean, people want to I think has been shown honestly, like a lot of times having an overactive fight or flight response, like stress, like a activated sympathetic. Yeah. Like it if will you're probably kill your stre- deep sleep. Yeah. yeah. If you're stressed out, you are not going to have a healthy deep sleep. And it might sound totally obvious, but yeah, like if you can deactivate your fight or flight response, you're going to get more deep sleep. But also that can happen with REM. And this is why I'm very fascinated in the targeted memory reactivation stuff. If you had maybe some trauma or something, and a lot of times you'll have, you know, night terrors, and that's very common in PTSD. A lot of times you'll pop awake during REM because you're having such a bad dream. Mm. And I think there could be ways to mitigate that in the future. Okay, but back to deep sleep. So we try to do the slow wave sleep stimulation is is one of the things. Blocking out noise pollution, another easy way. Honestly, if you learn more during the day, there's evidence that you'll get more deep sleep. So you mean, you know, scrolling through Instagram doesn't count? Yeah, I think scrolling less through Instagram. I mean, I'm a fan of the blue blockers. Yep. You know, it can't hurt. I also have the LifeX bulbs. Mm-hmm. I, I have a nice ritual. Oh, yeah, we're going to get saving, to the ritual. We're, we're, we're almost okay. there. Yeah, we're going to get okay. close to the wrapping up of the show here for people listening. But this is great. I mean, these are great ways to improve deep sleep. One of the things that I tell patients for deep sleep, and we can throw this one out there, is I do a lot of hot yoga. And I, and I tell patients or, or friends, family, people, you know, biohackers are like, well, how do we get more deep sleep? I go, man, when I go to bi- hot yoga, oh, yeah. I'm in a 115 degree room for an hour. Talk about body temperature, core increase and sweating. Yes. And, and, and now the big thing is, you know, infrared saunas. You know? So no, yeah, the sauna yeah. game changer. Yeah, totally. So I do, inf- you know, I don't do infrared sauna yet. I'm, I'm, that's on my list to get one, but I've got oh. a cold plunge now too. And I've noticed, you know, extreme temperatures. Yeah, it, the temperature stuff is very captivating and, and there's some good sign. There's some good evidence. What there. about the room temperature or the, the bed temperature? Does that help with deep sleep? Yeah, so I I have this blog post called Split Blankets, Not Beds. That's kind of all about how people naturally, if they have a sleep partner, they run at different body temperatures. You want, what they say in sleep science is you want a cold, quiet, dark environment. But people have, especially men and women, have different core body needs. Mm -hmm. And it's very common in like the Netherlands, for example, to have different comforters for different temperature needs, basically. So instead of this idea of having one blanket that you share, which I know is a very loving idea, is just have multiple blankets in your bed. It's a really easy way to optimize your temperature. Mm -hmm. You'll kick it off 
you'll kick off that blanket subconsciously if you get too hot. Because if you are at the wrong body temperature when you're in REM, yeah. you, since you lose thermal regulation, it will reduce your re- your your REM. Because ah. if it's too hot, you'll pop awake because your body has no thermal regulation, basically. And so, you know, we talked before before about you know things like chili pad, eight mattress, the bed jet. Yep. All all these things are designed to optimize for that, and I think they're great. Yeah, it's funny, interesting. You mentioned also when I was in Europe, when I traveled there, a lot of the beds in the hotels have like two mattresses, like more like double oh, twins yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. And then and we're talking about the Samina bed. A lot of those, there's a little bit of a separation between the, the bed partners. And I think that's there for a reason because then you get your own little independent space. And then, yeah, you can move up closer. You can if you cuddle to. sometimes yeah, you can, and then go yeah, back to your space. Because yeah. <laughs> what you don't want to do is what's called a sleep divorce. I don't know. Have you heard of that term? What? Separate beds? Sleep divorce, separate yeah. beds. And that's what happens with me and my patients every day. You know, I'm one of the chief complaints they say when they come in, it goes, you know, my wife's leaving the room every night or my husband's yeah. leaving the room. And, and there's kind of, there's a pros and cons, I guess, to that. I mean, yeah. I know when my wife leaves the room, I sleep extra good, but yeah. don't tell her I said that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think she might hear now. Uh, oh, oops. <laughs> if she watches your show. <laughs> yeah, she listens. She knows. She listens. But no, I mean, people are different. I've also had clients who really find comfort in that presence too. So, you know, it really it can really cut both ways. Yeah. Also, like the cats, like probably not nocturnal creatures. Uh-huh. Probably not the best thing for your sleep quality. It, you know what? You're funny you mentioned that. I, I have, again, patients coming in and they're like, you know what? I do everything that you said. You know, I blocked my light. You know, I shut off my Wi-Fi. Everything's dark. I don't play with my cell phone. Yet my sleep is still trashed. Huh. And, and I said, well, you know, what else are you doing? Oh, you know, oh, by the way, I sleep with my cat. Right. Or my dog. Right. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I love pets and they're great and everything. But there's your problem right there. I think that, by the way, I think it's so rare for a doctor to deliver that kind of personalized feedback to someone. And so I really commend you for, for offering that to your clients. Thanks. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm out there to help people with their sleep and whatever I can do that helps me. I just like to pass it forward and, and help other people. So speaking of what helps me, and I guess we're going to get towards the end of the show here, but Everybody has, or at least people who want to improve their sleep have a routine, or at least I do, for a night routine. So my new question of the show, and I've asked people different questions, but I think I'm going to stick with this one, is what is your night routine to get an optimal sleep? Okay, so I have a cool setup in my house where I have smart lights that are voice controlled to my Siri. So usually what I'll do is I'll say, hey Siri, I'm going to bed. And that will turn all the lights in my house red. And so, you know, there's evidence that, really interesting evidence actually, because of how we were exposed to sunsets as creatures forever, that the red light basically activates your sleep. I'll either, I I stopped kind of watching TV. I'll usually read a book for a little while. And then I'll do a a gratitude meditation about about 10 minutes before I fall asleep. And then I'll play ocean waves basically for 10 minutes. I find ocean waves really relaxing personally. And then that will go into pink noise. And that's, that's generally my sleep routine. And what about food? Do you try to eat early, late? Do you have a preference? Oh, that's a good point. So I always make sure, well, you don't want to go to bed too hungry and you don't want to go to bed too full. So there's like a sweet spot in the middle. So I just make sure I'm not hungry 
and usually like I'll eat like two hours before bed. One of the big things that thanks for bringing this up is the hydration factor. Okay. And so I know some people are when they get old, they, they, you know, have to pee a lot through throughout the night. That's not, this is why a lot of this is very individual. For me, I think it's really important to be hydrated. So usually I'll drink a glass of water before, mm-hmm. and then I'll have a water bottle by my bed. So if I get thirsty throughout the night, I, I can drink it. Okay. Assuming you don't have any prostate issues, I guess. Right? Yeah, I'm, I'm 33, so it hasn't quite hit me yet. You're still a baby. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So for people who want to learn more about the Sonic Sleep? Yeah, just check out sonicsleepcoach.com. I also, you know, we do personalized sleep consultations with people. Our software is on iPhone and Android. It connects to Apple Watch. We're just trying to work with the best solutions out there and give people personalized recommendations to optimize whatever they're dealing with. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I wanted to connect with you is because you're doing exactly the same kind of stuff that I'm doing is, you know, enabling people the opportunity to to sleep better, to recover better, to have more energy because I think this this world, at least the U.S., is getting trashed with their sleep and their and their habits, and you know it's making people angry mm. and depressed and medicated, and you know it's just not a fun place to be when you're like that. I totally. We would be a lot nicer to each other, I think, if we weren't sleep depressed. I mean, the empathy studies are really interesting too, by the way. Sleep and empathy. So I, I totally relate to what you said just there, and I really appreciate you having me on. Awesome, Dan. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to learn more about Dan, you can go to Sonic Sleep Coach. SonicSleepCoach.com. If you want to connect with me more on Instagram, you could reach out to Sleep Biohacker. That's my little Instagram account that I created to share all my goodies, tips, and tricks. And a lot of the stuff we talked about on the show, I have profile on there. So if you want to see what they look like or how they work, Sleep Biohacker Instagram. If you're in the LA area and you want to come by and see me in person, I am at Snore Experts. That's my practice where I treat patients for snoring and sleep apnea. One of the biggest sleep killers out there and we talked about low-hanging fruit that's one of the quickest ways you can address poor sleep so again thanks for tuning in everyone i got a lot more cool episodes coming and we'll see you all next time this broadcast is for informational purposes only statements and views expressed in this show are not medical advice the show including dr jay Crisandi, the co-host guest and the producers disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of any information contained herein Opinions of the guests are their own. We do not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests, nor do we make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. If you think you have a medical problem, please consult a licensed physician.